Benny Miller was not the only person to arrive as a stranger in Cedar Valley on the first day of summer in 1993. A man arrived too, a calm-faced man in a brown wool suit and a wide-striped tie, clothing too warm for the weather. He strolled down Valley Road past the hairdresser and a small cafe. A warm wind stirred, carrying with it the faint smell of pies and horses, and the man paused for just a moment before he sat down. Benny Miller would have driven right past him in her station wagon on that bright and brimming day. Here she was, this young woman, Benny Miller, all of 21. She pulled off Valley Road, concentrating on the directions she had committed to mind. A curved street lay before her and Benny eased along it, veering left at the end, two hands steady on the wheel. Wianga Crescent, when she reached it, was narrow and short, a cul-de-sac surrounded by bush. She stopped at a weatherboard cottage, double-checking the number on the letterbox and pulled her car into a brick driveway covered in leaves. Benny Miller got out and stood straight as a pole. She stretched her long arms and took a moment to look around. Low-slung houses were set apart widely and neat grassy footpaths were lined with flowering trees. Boats and camper trailers sat in faded carports. Cicadas sang in the damp air. Full of apprehension, Benny blinked at the street and then turned to stare at the modest green cottage, her new home. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hi there, and welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. My name's Emma, and I'm joined today by singer, songwriter, and author Holly Throsby. Holly, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. For those of you who don't know Holly, uh, that's weird, because she's a pretty big deal, (laughs) both in Australia's music and publishing industries. For over a decade, she's been releasing albums, both solo and collaborative, and has racked up a bunch of accolades and ARIA nominations along the way. But around 2016, Holly shifted gears, moving from music to mystery books with the release of her debut novel, Goodwood, an immensely popular mystery that unfolds in small-town Australia. Goodwood came in at number seven on ABC's The Book Club's Top Ten and was number three on Dimmick's list of the best books of 2016. Goodwood has since been shortlisted for an Indie Book Award, two Australian Book Industry Awards, two Sisters in Crime David Awards and a Ned Kelly Award. This September, we'll see the release of her much-anticipated second book, Cedar Valley, set one year on, just south of the New South Wales town of Goodwood, but with its own secrets and stirrings. Uh, Holly, thanks for sitting there while I talk about you in the third person. (laughs) I couldn't couldn't really sum up your achievements in just a few lines because you were so prolific. Oh, thanks. No one's called me a big deal before, so I was really stoked by (laughs) that. You are. We're very excited to have you. Uh, You're very well known and celebrated for your music. Uh, But you actually studied English literature at uni, is that correct? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, I did English. I did three units of English at high school um, and I was very interested in it. And then I did go on to do a degree at Sydney University. It was a Bachelor of Arts. I actually did a double major in English and government um, because I I just, you know, I'm interested in politics as well. But English was the thing that I did all my prerequisite courses to do honours, etc. But then I didn't ever do my honours year. I just, I finished the, the degree and I went to live overseas for six months in Austin, Texas. Um, with my partner at the time and 
and that was then that I started really songwriting in a very intensive way and I guess that sort of drew my interest and I ended up, when I returned to Australia, making my first album and forgetting about my English degree for <laughs> quite a long time. So what, what did, why did you end up writing and singing songs and not pursuing journalism? Well, I guess it was just something I was very, I did very naturally all through high school. I would write songs and... I started writing songs when I first got a guitar when I was in primary school and then it was a very huge obsession of mine to write songs. I was very driven towards um, music and driven by music. And reading was also a passion, but I didn't really think I could contribute in that way. I, I didn't think I had a book in me at that point at all. And journalism... Um, was something that interested me. I just knew I wanted to be a writer, but I guess songwriting just seemed like the most natural thing for me at that time. So when I was in my 20s, um, yeah, it was it was just something I really wanted to do. And when I, I had that period of living in Texas, I was quite isolated. I didn't really have... We made a few friends, but I, you know, I was essentially cut off from my main support network in Australia. And so it gave me a really good amount of time to focus on music and really listen and start to listen to albums and realise what it is I liked about the production and stuff like that. And, yeah, it was just a really interesting musical time for me. And that's how my first album kind of came out of that time. So after all of that, what made you decide to jump back, I guess, into writing? Um, Well, I guess I had made uh, four or five albums at that time. Um, And songwriting started to become a bit frustrating for me. I was trying really hard to write a new record and I just didn't have any lyrical inspiration. And the record that I'd made just before Goodwood was an album called Team in which I decided to become a bit more, I guess, experimental in terms of the lyrics. So they were a lot more impressionistic and um, I guess more feeling-based, not so narrative-based. And so I I really enjoyed that. But afterwards I felt like I really did want to do something more narrative-based, but songwriting didn't quite feel like the right medium for that for me. Um, They're quite short songs (laughs) and I wanted Mm. something a bit bigger. Um, And the idea of writing like a three-hour song wasn't appealing. So I started writing these little vignettes with the idea of of writing prose. and I met with a publisher at the same time. He was sort of a publisher but also a, a real mentor for me, a man called Richard Walsh who works mm-hmm. as a consultant publisher with Alan and Unwin. He's an old friend of my mum's from the 70s. Uh, and I think he'd said to my mum, would Holly ever consider writing a book? And she mentioned this to me very offhandedly. And I said, oh, yes, I really, really would. I don't think she realised that, I, I, that it's something I did think about a lot. Um, and so it sort of started with a coffee with Richard to talk about some ideas that I had. And basically it was really his encouragement that allowed me the confidence, I think, to really start um, with Goodwood and to continue going with it. I think I just, if it was on my own, I don't think I would have necessarily backed myself Um and I think that's the same for a lot of creative people. You really need someone on your side to tell you that it's good and to keep going because the level of self-doubt that creative people have is quite high um, in my experience. Mm. Um, so, yeah, after that, I, I guess, and I didn't really know if I could actually do this until I'd really finished Goodwood. I didn't tell anyone that I was doing it because I sort of thought I'd be that person who was like, I'm writing a novel yeah. and the novel, <laughs> the novel never eventuates, which definitely happens because you start writing a novel and, it's really hard. It's a really challenging endeavour. So I I kept it kind of quiet and I just worked away with Richard and, 
yeah, going into this book, I definitely was more confident that I could actually finish a novel. Um, that didn't necessarily alleviate <laughs> periods of, of um, self-doubt. But having done that, I did feel more comfortable going into writing a second. So was was the creative process different than from your first novel? Had you learned uh, some things? The creative process wasn't necessarily different. I did think a little more about where I wanted the book to go before I started. With Goodwood, I really wrote blind and I just launched off and the story really sort of wrote itself and I, it, as it went along, I kind of realised what needed to happen. Um, that certainly happened in Cedar Valley as well, but just to a slightly lesser extent. I had some ideas about how I wanted it to end up, but I had no idea how I was going to get there. So I really do enjoy the process of figuring it out during the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, as we heard in the extract that you so kindly read at the beginning, um, Cedar Valley, it's centred around the character of 21-year-old Benny. And she's left the city for small town Australia following the death of her mother, seeking answers and looking for some respite. This book, though, is not exactly a sequel to your first. Goodwood does get a few nods throughout Cedar Valley. What made you decide to set both books in the same universe? Um, Just because I loved writing Goodwood so much, I felt like I wasn't really um, finished with that world. Um, when I was writing Goodwood, I, I loved being there, I guess. Um, and Cedar Valley was a town that was mentioned um, a couple of times. And so I guess for me, I wanted to continue that world, but in a very different way. Obviously, it's a standalone story, but there's a couple of characters that keen readers of Goodwood might notice that come across to Cedar Valley, and that was just really nice for me as a writer um, to consider how much I like it when fictional worlds connect. Um, when I read books, and for example, on TV shows as well, um, like I love it, you know, when Buffy goes over to Angel and mm-hmm. then Angel goes back to Buffy, and you know, those, those kind of crossover worlds where they've created a new world, but you still have characters that are connected. Um, I've always just really enjoyed that as a as a reader or as a viewer. So I was kind of keen to bring in some really unlikely characters from Goodwood that surface in Cedar Valley. Mm-hmm. They're both set in rural, small town, New South Wales. Cedar Valley is just south of the location um, of Goodwood. And for me, the book just evoked, it's such a distinct sense of place. You've got the little antique shops and you've got the little green cottage with the python in the roof um, <laughs> and you've got the takeaway joints down the road and things like that. So what attracts you to small towns and like small Australian p- towns in particular? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I'm really, I'm a city person, but ever since I started traveling more in small town Australia, which really came about as being a touring musician, when I was a kid, we just didn't do that. I mean, I I just wasn't we weren't a I wasn't a sort of a kid that travelled a lot in the country. I was more, I guess, because my mum, you know, worked for Qantas, so she she had a, a program on Qantas um, as a broadcaster, and so I think part of her pay was to get overseas trips. So I remember we used to go overseas when I was younger, which was just such an incredible privilege. But I think, in a sense, that closed my eyes a little to to. Um, Australia and especially small town Australia and as a musician I all of a sudden was traveling in this world a lot because I did a lot of regional touring and instantly there was just a a feeling of real kinship for me. Um, I remember a review of Goodwood in the Sydney Morning Herald noted something 
about an affection for a certain like quintessential dagginess <laughs> of Australia, Australian country life. And I, I really enjoyed the use of the word dagginess in that <laughs> review because I think um, there is something just adorable. I, I love the kind of adorably hokey aspects of small town life um, because for me it's a, such a beautiful way to express community. And I think we all try to do that in the city. You know, we try to do it with our farmer's markets and yeah. with our, like, you know, how it's kind of cool if you're young now to have clubs and to do mm. more craft or this kind of stuff. But this stuff is just actually real in the country. And for me, I'm just so drawn to different people getting together over shared interests. Um, and for me, in Cedar Valley, there's a little passage about all the different clubs there are in the town. Because fiction, I think what it should do is highlight how humans are so the same in a sense and for me that's what I'm interested in doing with these books it's not about grisly horrible the depths of darkness of humanity which I think a lot of crime books specifically are um it's a lot of depravity and how far will a person mm. go but for me I'm much more interested in the things that um are similar about us so I have these different characters but the themes that come up with all of them are, are very much the same um, around family or, um, you know, self-appraisal or um, memory or loss or um, relationships. Like all these kinds of things are the things that I'm really interested in. And I, I feel that a small town setting lets you do that in a really beautiful way because the community is already so connected Um a high density of acquaintanceship, as mm -hmm. um, Jean's Nan says in Goodwood. And I just, for me, that's just such a perfect place um, to explore those kinds of issues as opposed to the kind of anonymity, is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> anonymity that we find in big cities sort of um, settings. So that that was really attractive to me. And it also kind of made me realise that I'd, I want to move out of the city. Right. Um and so my family and I are planning on moving out of Sydney next year to somewhere just a little quieter. And I just think for me, writing these books is quite cathartic in how much I do connect to smaller communities. Hmm. And and you said that you're you're a city girl. Uh, you grew up in Balmain. Is that yeah, right? and I guess Balmain for people who know Balmain in, in Sydney. When I was growing up in Balmain, it really did have a small town feel, and right. perhaps that is why. I am attracted to the idea of a smaller community. It is a peninsula, so, it, yep. you know, nobody would go through. It's an thoroughfare in any sense. Um, and in the same way that Goodwood was, it was described as somewhere that's not between anywhere and anywhere else. You kind of have to be going to Goodwood if you're going to Goodwood, and very much the same in Balmain. Um, and I really did know, you know, every single shopkeeper you knew, you would see 10 people you knew when you walked up Darling Street every day when I was growing up. And I don't know if it's still like that in Balmain now. I hope it is. But... It certainly did have a, a very villagey feel, which yeah. was really nice at that time. I think now the demographic has changed significantly. Um, it's where our office is. It's the Good Reading headquarters. Oh actually. yeah. Um, so it's quite, an, but it's quite an affluent part of Sydney now. It's really affluent, and so when I was growing up, it was you know there was a secondhand bookstore. There was maybe at least two record stores. I worked in the video store for um, eight years. Yeah. There was and there was another couple of video stores. There was disposal stores and. Uh, you know, old school delicatessens and old school pizza shops and, and stuff like that. These days it is really different. It's um, a lot of, like, designer shops, mm. um, designer, like, pet and baby and yeah. active wear shops and stuff. <laughs> so it's definitely become a lot more affluent. The yeah. artists, I don't think, are so much there now. Mm. Um, 
But that's what happens, isn't yeah. it? It's what happens. I live in, you know, I've been living in the inner west pretty much all my life and it, it keeps happening to various suburbs and this is what happens. Yeah, totally. <laughs> mm. Um, so in continuing on about like your childhood and growing up, you've spoken about and we know that you have quite a creative family because your mum is ABC's Margaret Throsby mm-hmm. um, and your grandma was a cellist in the Sydney Symphony and your uncle's a cultural economist. Uh, do you feel that growing up around other creative types nurtured your own creativity? Uh, yeah, my mum was certainly very encouraging of me uh, being creative Um which is a wonderful gift you could give a child, I think. Um, and my family are um, pretty smart. I, think. <laughs> I always feel like the intellectual underachiever because I don't have a PhD and most of my cousins have PhDs. But my mum's also, you know, academic underachiever. She just doesn't have a degree, um, which would probably surprise a lot of people. But when she yeah. started, she was doing a degree, but she got offered a job at the ABC and she took the job and so she's been at the ABC for over 50 years. Smart. Um, I think it's pretty smart. She's really smart. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I guess I, I definitely felt I learnt a lot growing up. There was a lot of books around, that's for sure. Um, and so I guess reading has always been something that I aspired to and writing was something that was really celebrated in my house um, and that's... Yeah, that's lovely. I hope. I think it's probably the same for my daughter because, you know, I read a lot too and she's interested in books as well and it's a beautiful gift for kids. I think the more readers we have in the world, the better. Yeah. What sort of books did you read when you were that age, when um, you were younger? Oh, like Paul Jennings. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Judy Bloom and, you know, all the, all the young reading classics. I definitely read trashy things like Sweet Valley High books yeah. and I remember early mystery books like ghastly kind of teen mystery horror stuff that I would kind of read but then by the time I was a teenager I became I did become really interested in um, real life stuff I went and saw JFK and then the film the Oliver Stone film and then I became obsessed with the JFK assassination and read a lot of books about that and that was a kind of interesting entrance into crime writing for me because I did read James Elroy's LA Quartet before that um, the American tabloid book, but I loved the way American tabloid brought the JFK assassination into this fictional world and created this fictional story around this real life event. And I feel like that probably was influential on me for bringing something like the Summerton Man into Cedar Valley. Right. Uh, what, what are some other um, books or authors that influence you and in your writing? Um, I am mainly influenced, I think, by American writers, um, like 20th century American writers. Uh, like Richard Yates or Carson McCullers, um, Truman Capote. Um, and then more recently there has been some books like The Virgin Suicides that I really loved um, and even more recently than that I really love um, White Houses by Amy Bloom which came out I think just last year um, and Elizabeth Strout is a favourite of mine yeah. who wrote Olive Kittredge. Is that her name? I think that's her name. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I read a lot. These days I probably read probably more women, um, but I do always tend to read American um, books or I, I, American and Irish are kind of my favourite, <laughs> seemingly yeah. my favourite. And I think there's a similarity there in, in, in that writing. Um, the Butcher Boy by Pat- Patrick McCabe is one of my favourite books, Irish book. 
crazy vernacular writing and really beautiful. But yeah, I always find it hard to think of authors when I'm asked that question. But I think it, there's definitely a, a certain aesthetic around, like, you know, As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner is one of my favourite books. Mm. And I think the kind of trajectory that goes from him onwards, that tradition in American writing that's quite sparse and, um, you know, things like Kent Haruf, I really love Our Souls at Night and those kinds of books. Um, Richard Ford, some of Richard Ford's books, like this particular one about his parents called Wildlife. Um, it's one about his about a boy, it's not him, a boy whose parents divorce. I'm really interested in those kinds of family, family dramas. Right. Interesting then, given that you like overseas authors and that your novel has such a distinctly... Australian feel. Yeah, I know, but I guess I, I also just love so much Australian stuff as well, um, especially in the true crime genre. Mm-hmm. For example, Helen Garner's books, courtroom books, like Joe Cinque or This House of Grief, I just thought was so fantastic. And in that same world, The Tall Man by Chloe Hooper and Night Games by Anna Krein, um, like those kind of real-life crime um, investigative books and I'm reading one at the moment called Wedderburn which is coming out through Alan Lerwin in October uh, which is really great it totally appeals to my um, sensibilities around just the kind of real capturing of the vernacular of small town life um, and the kind of rhythms of small town life but it's a, it's a real life story this horrible story of a man who murders his neighbours but then the, a lot of people in the town thinks that he's just done this fabulous thing and done them all a wonderful <laughs> favour so it's just really interesting I love books that take a crime and then use that to look at ethics and um, and you know human frailty and I just think that's fascinating so yeah I, I think for me Australian there's so much Australian fiction and non-fiction running through my veins as well. So, I mean, just go back to your music for a second because I'm interested in maybe some of the parallels and the differences between songwriting and book writing and um, a book tour and an album tour. Um, how book, different... book tours are heaps better. <laughs> yeah, are they? In my opinion. Well, like, when I was younger, in my 20s, I would have said that music tours were awesome because I, I did, you know... I like to party like the best of them when I was in my 20s. <laughs> and now I feel like the, I did a book tour for Goodwood and it was like we did a book event like this, for example, talking about books, which I enjoy doing. And then it would be like a nice dinner and a glass of wine and then I'd just be in bed by 8.30. And oh, nice. I mean, that's my idea of a lovely time these days. Whereas music, um, my last music tour, I was like, oh man, I have to pay at 10 and um, I was tired and I as I don't enjoy partying like I used to, so I would nominate book tours as, as better when, <laughs> when you're my age, which is I'm 39, so I think I'm maybe I'm maturing. Fair enough. <laughs> and so, I mean, I was going to just, I was trying to think of a way to work this in, but I don't think there is any way to work this in. I just, I read that you've written comic books as well. Oh, yeah. It's a non-secretary. It is a non-secretary. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a slight exaggeration. <laughs> I, I wrote one, no, I wrote two comic books and I illustrated them as companion pieces to my album. So there's an Under the Town comic which went with my second album and there was an, a, a comic that went with an EP as well. And so these are, when I say comic, I mean like I printed and I printed them at Officeworks and then like <laughs> stapled them together with a hand stapler. But we did end up doing so many runs. I mean, we, we prob- we've sold hundreds of these comics, but, um, yeah, my comic was a lot like my songwriting. Um, 
and I really did. I, the thing I mostly enjoyed was doing the illustrations for it, which I also did like little illustrations in. I did a kids album like yeah. uh, six or seven years ago, and I did the little animal drawings inside the album and stuff like that. I do enjoy that kind of thing, but yeah, I find I think it ended up on. Th- the internet somewhere and now people ask me as if I'm a comic book artist but I feel like that's a massive exaggeration. So what's next for you then? Um, well, um, what's next? I I think some music is next. Uh, I have a, a band that I've been involved with uh, with Sarah Blasco and Sally Seltman. We're called Seeker, Lover, Keeper and we had one album which came out in 2002 11 I think and then we did a couple of tours after that record um I think we're getting the band back together so I'm hopefully going to be making a record with Sally and Sarah at some point in the next six months or so it's difficult with all of our different um our different work uh structures because we're we're all working on a lot of stuff that's not music as well um so getting the three of us together for any period of time is just so surprisingly difficult. I can't quite believe how difficult it is, but we are managing it and I think hopefully that will happen. And yeah, I would love to write another novel. Um, It's just a matter of what that one's going to be about. (laughs) Same universe, small town or maybe Uh, something different? I think it's too soon to say at this point. Um, But yeah, I do really love the challenge of it. And I have some ideas in my mind already, but they're so skeletal that I think it's probably best to wait. Mm-hmm. And is it getting easier then or more no. fun? Or, no, God, no. <laughs> um, no, it's definitely not a process I would describe as easy, but I would definitely describe it as really satisfying, um, but probably satisfying because it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the sort of the nature of um, the work that I think as creative people that we're most proud of is the stuff that was really difficult. Mm. The stuff that just pops out... Um, I mean, sometimes there's a beautiful joy in that. Some of my favourite songs that I've written are ones that just popped out. Um, but it, it's so elusive when that happens and one can never recreate it. So for me, novel writing, um, there's so much work involved and I really enjoyed that, balancing the fact that, yes, you can have some successful creative moments um, and ideas that work, but really novel writing is like a marathon. A um, grit. Yeah, and I, in, in, for for my sensibilities, I really enjoy that challenge. So, no, it's not easier, but it's. I think I'm confident enough to to enjoy the process maybe a little more. Yeah, where do you write? Where do you go to sit down and get it done? Well, Goodwood I wrote in the front room of my house, which was lovely and sun-filled, but that's now my daughter's bedroom. So this Cedar Valley was written sort of on the couch or at the kitchen table or sometimes at the coffee shop or Mm -hmm. sometimes at the library. And, yeah, that's one thing I would like is to have a room of my own. Maybe when you move (laughs) to the country. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what do you do when you're not being um, a writer and a singer and a comic book stapler? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um... Oh, you know, I well, I have a little family and I have a dog and I like bushwalking and I do like to be in nature and um, I do my own kind of studies, I guess, just unofficial studies of things that I'm interested in. Um, sometimes I think about going and doing formal study again, but at this point I just like to read books about things I'm interested in and if I have the time for it. Um, 
yeah, life does seem to go quicker when as you get older. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for um, having me. For anyone who is interested, and you should be, because it's such a compelling read, um, Cedar Valley is available at any good bookstore um, and also at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Holly, thanks. Thank you.